love that. Love that truth and love that uh, song. You know, in, in um, the last ten weeks, we walked through the whole Bible. That wasn't that hard. Really, in the last ten weeks, we walked through the entire story of the Bible, the story of what God is doing in our world. And as we went through that story, three elements really stood out. And if they were colors, they would set the tone for every scene. If they were a, a smell, you would, you would catch a whiff of them all throughout. Jesus, community, and mission. In that order. And the order matters. Jesus. Jesus comes first. He laid down His life to rescue us and to make us new. Community, because of who Jesus is and what He's done, we deliberately choose to move towards each other. And the good news? The good news is that Jesus is actually big enough to help all sorts of diverse people come together and connect. The third key element is mission. Grace to the undeserving is God's greatest glory. So Jesus sends His disciples to share His grace with all the people in our region and around our world. And really, these three elements, you could use these three elements to sort of summarize the vision of Whitnam Baptist Church. So I, I want to just start there this morning. And I just want to take some chance to, uh, a moment to pray together and ask for God's help to focus in this, in this direction, okay? Lord, we're asking for help today. We're asking for help today to be able to... Um, to rejoice. We're asking for help today to be able to have clarity brought to our minds and to our lives. We're asking for help today that You would cause the beauty of the face of Jesus Christ to shine into our souls. God, do for us what we can't do for ourselves, but that's really what You do in all of salvation. But God, we don't want to walk away having attended a service today. Instead, we want to have a meeting with you. We want to encounter you. God, there's many of us that need grace today. We need a reminder. We need to be pointed back to you again today. So I'm asking that you would do that for us. Thank you, Jesus, for working. Thank you, Jesus, for transforming. Thank you for, for helping us today because we've asked. And it's in your name that we do pray this. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's turn there to 1 Thessalonians. And that's what uh, Joe just read for us. Thank you very much for doing that. 
But we're there. We're going to start out in 1 Thessalonians. This is a new series, and it's building on the story-formed way that we just completed. If we think through, we say, boy, what are the key things that God has been focusing on throughout all of history? I'm going to say that these are three of the core key elements. I know it may not look exactly like that today, but our goal, even in the icon here, even in our image, is to sort of hopefully get you to think of a periodic table. Remember that from chemistry? Okay. Yeah, some people do. Some people are like, man, no. But, but that, that idea of these are the irreducible minimums. These are the things upon which everything else is built. And we're going to say that three of these core things of the Bible are Jesus and community and mission. What I'd love for you to do with your missional communities maybe is to take some time to, to, to say, where did we see that in the story? Did we really see the need for a rescuer throughout the entire story? Did we really see that God was not just calling individuals, but that God was calling individuals to become a family as we went through the story? People moving in, you know, like towards each other, connecting with each other? And did we really see God sending out, God reaching out, God going out after others? So I'd love for you to take time to think through that together. Jesus, community, and mission. We have to start with Jesus because Jesus is first. So this week and next week, we're going to look at Jesus. We'll take uh, the plan, at least right now, is, um, and that changed since last night because I'm taking one sermon and breaking it into two. Um, you can imagine I had a ton of stuff. So we're, we're going we're gonna to break that in two weeks on Jesus, two weeks on community, and two weeks on mission. Uh, to remind ourselves of what Jesus has been calling us to. So 1 Thessalonians, when you take a look there, this is a topical series, um, and uh, but we're going to take a look in 1 Thessalonians chapters 1 through 10. Like I said, Joe just read that for us, and what I want us to cue in on here is something that stands out. One of the reasons why we chose this passage is right there in verse 7. He's writing to them, and he says to them, so that... Because of your, um, because you became imitators and you, re- you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, verse 6, so that you became an example to all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but also your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we don't need to say anything. The world is talking. And one of the things that Paul is emphasizing right here, he is saying, guys, if you want an example of what authentic, apostolic Christianity looks like, look at this church. So he's holding them up saying, this is what it looks like, guys. I've, I've identified you. This is what it looks like. You guys have been an example. Now the question then is, okay, well, what does it look like? What does authentic Christianity look like? And that will be probably the big question that we're going to wrestle through today. What should authentic Christianity really look like? Well, What I want to notice for us next week, we're going to look at um, verses uh, 4 and 5. And especially verse 5, he says, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. 
What's the difference between those two? Is there a way that the gospel can come only in word and not with power? It seems like the apostles draw in that distinction. That'll be next week. Okay. This week, though, what we're going to do is we're going to drop down here to verse 9 because they came that example. And he says in verse 9, uh, he said, remember, verse, end of verse 8, we didn't need to say anything. In other words, this is so clear, I don't need to even talk about it, but then he's a pastor, so he's going to talk about it. So, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you. Okay, well, what kind of reception? Well, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. So this is the statement. When we look at Jesus, we're going to see how they turned from idols. What does authentic Christianity look like? One of the characteristics of the gospel going deep, of, of people who really focus first primarily on Jesus, is going to be there's this transformation, this walking away from our idols and walking towards the living and true God. So that's what we want to look at together today. Why? Why would we need to talk about this? Because I'm sure in all of our lives we would sit there and go, we understand this already. Well, let's think through this. The reason that we need to talk about this together today is that we, un- we need to understand something. There are a lot of us who've grown up in the church. There's a lot of us who've grown up and go to good churches, valuable churches. But there's a challenge that resides inside the human heart. You and me. Inside of your life and my life, our problem isn't to figure out how Jesus has enhanced our lives. Instead, our problem is our lives. We need to see Jesus in a new way so that we can actually repent of our lives. Whose life? Our lives. And we saw this as we closed out the story form way. What we need to understand is in our lives are lurking idols. And these idols hold us back and have kept us in bondage for a long time. And honestly, if we don't see Jesus in his grace and his glory, if we don't see Jesus in his acceptance, if we don't see Jesus in his power such that we can turn away from our idols Honestly, what's going to happen is we're going to become statistics who eventually look up and say, you know what, I tried Jesus, and it didn't work. I tried Jesus, but he didn't work for me. But the bottom line is this, Jesus does not work for you. He saves us. Amen? Jesus gives us the power to turn from our idols to turn and serve the living and true God. So we need to talk about this today. Because honestly, Jesus is just too easily misunderstood. And and here's how he's misunderstood. Let me draw it out sort of this way. In our hearts, it's like there's a house of representatives. Because we all love politics, right? And how many of us feel like politics is going really well right now? Okay, that's what I thought. In our hearts, it's like there's this house of representatives. 
I know we like to think that we are these unified, cohesive, directive persons who who thought through life and we're, we're pursuing a goal. But is that really true? No. Deep down inside of us, we have representatives from every county inside of our life. So you've got a representative from the social part of me. Inside of me, I've also got a representative from the sexual part of me. There's, there's the representative from the financial part of me. There's also the fun part of me. There's also the religious part of me. You can go through your life and there are all sorts of segments of who you really are. And all those guys are gathered in a room trying to make decisions for you. You get the picture? There is almost never a unified me. It's always a split vote, isn't it? And they're, and they're weighing these things out. They're fighting with each other. They're trying to decide which way should we go. And, and, and they're, they're bringing their perspectives. But this is what drives us crazy about ourselves. Because internally we're saying, I want to be this person. I have this picture about who I am. This is what I operate for. The problem is, just like politics today, inside of my heart, while all of these guys argue and fight for my significance and my dominance, I can't bring that all together to be the person that I want to be. And just like politics today, I end up more compromised than accomplished. Have you felt that tug? So then what happens inside of our churches is we say what? Accept Jesus in your heart. We say accept Jesus in your heart. And what do we do? We bring him into the Senate. And Jesus becomes one of the people inside of that room. And in a really bad situation, he wears his what would Jesus do bracelet. And he walks around and he sits there and says, I wouldn't do that. And yet he gets outvoted every time. In a really bad situation, and maybe in a really good situation, Jesus is really vocal. And once in a while, he has the power to kind of sway some people towards his direction. But Jesus is in there as a member of the Senate trying to accomplish something. And in one sense, this is what our churches, which is what we call each other to sometimes, to say, Bring Jesus into the mix. Let him have a seat at the table and let him cast a vote. Is that the biblical picture of who Jesus calls himself to be? No. We need Jesus to come in and fire all the senators inside of our lives. We need Jesus to come in and get rid of them, drive them out, because Jesus needs to come and really take control of our lives. We're going to talk about what these senators are, where they come from, and what they represent in just a minute. But honestly, the life of faith and repentance really is when we finally sit there and say, Jesus, you know what? I'm living this frantic, driven, confused, messed up life. I don't know where I'm headed at times. I need you to come and I need you to control. I need you to be the Lord of my life. I'm asking you to put in place a benevolent dictatorship. 
you rule my life. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And why is this important? Why do we need a church that believes this? Why do we need to encourage each other towards this? Isn't the problem that here in the Lakes region, people don't worship enough? There aren't enough believers. We're actually going to say it the exact opposite way. There is not too little worship in our world. There is way too much worship in our world. Everyone in these lake regions are already believers. There's too much belief in our world. The problem is we believe in too many saviors. We believe that nice sunny days like yesterday and today are going to save us after weeks of rain. We believe that um, if we could only have um, a nicer car or maybe a place on the, on the lake, or if my kids could just get a scholarship to college. These are the types of things that people in our region believe in. If you would just leave me alone, people in, my region, in our region think, oh, that's where salvation would come if you would just leave me alone. We trust in too many hopes. Honestly, we need to become unbelievers in idols. And we need to become focused on Jesus. That's what repentance is all about. That's what we're saying. And honestly, isn't that what the church is meant to be? Isn't that the function of the church together? The church is supposed to be something that we've already kind of admitted to each other, and it might have made even some of you uncomfortable this morning. The church is supposed to be a safe place where we can admit that, you know what, the, the stuff I've been living for, advancement or solitude, or if I can only lose this many pounds, or if I only owned... You know, this kind of motorcycle? If I could only get that, the stuff that we've been living for, we can come together and we can admit with each other, you know what, this is not working. It's not working. It's not working in my life. And the church is supposed to be sort of a safe, judgment-free place where we can admit that to each other and then call each other to live for what really will give us life. We can repent and turn away from our idols towards the living and the true God. That's why as a church we have to be all about Jesus. That's what we're called to. So let's, let's think about this. One of the aspects, one of the key aspects that we're going to look at this week, the key aspect we will look at this week is this concept that we have turned away from idols. To love Jesus, to follow Jesus, to put Jesus in that primary place means that we turn away from idols. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, it says this. It says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and they served the creature rather than the creator. What's an idol? When we talk about an idol, what are we talking about? It's not just that stone thing that we've set up, and many of you are tracking with me already. We talk about idols a lot around here because we know that it's so important. But there's two aspects that we need to understand when we talk about idolatry. Two aspects that we need to pay attention to. The first aspect that we need to understand from that Romans 1 definition is this, 
The first aspect of an idol is it's something that causes us to turn from God to get His creation. And to ask His creation to be what only God can be or do for us what only God can do for us. That's an idol. So let me say that again. An idol is what we turn away from the living God toward and it's something that God's created and we ask it to be God for us. We ask it to do for us what only God can do for us. That's an idol. So we kind of ask ourselves, okay, well, how do I sniff out the idols in my life? How do I sniff out the idols in my life? Well, you can ask yourself honestly, what is it here in God's creation that I consider just essential to my life? What do I absolutely need in order for my life to be livable? You can ask it another way. If I didn't have it, what would make me say, I quit? I don't want to go on. I don't want to do this anymore. Those are some of the types of questions that we ask ourselves. We're careful to look into our lives to ask God, God, will you show me where these things are? Now, let me let me make sure that we're we're careful on this. We're not saying this, especially in light of even some of the things that you guys have gone through this week. We are here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you look at something in your life and you say, you know what? If I lost this or I didn't get that, boy, that would be difficult. If I lost this or I didn't get that, boy, that would be difficult. Now, now that would be really, really painful. Understand, that's not what we're talking about as an idol. There are plenty of things in here. Some of you have lost loved ones this week. It does not make them an idol because you miss them. Some of you have, have gone through deep physical challenges this week. It does not mean that that's an idol. We don't find an idol underneath every little rock and tree in our lives. But if we're not looking, we're going to miss this. So the key question is, what do I need to have? What do I need to have? What is that for you? What is that in your life? Whatever that is, that is our hope. Whatever that is, that is your hope and my hope. Essentially what we do is we turn to that and we say to that, save me. Save me from my nothingness. Save me from my sadness. Save me from my life with no meaning. And, and, and this is where those centers come in because when we use that image of these, of these centers, those are the idols in our lives and they stand up and, they, and they're, they're shouting inside of our hearts and they're promising us that if we will serve them, if we will give them our lives, we'll be okay. Let me also just remind us of this. Because of what we know of Scripture, we think through the doctrine of original sin, we think through the reality, right, 
that sin is not just something that happens to me. Something, sin is, a, is an inward impulse. I would, I would say it this way. It is the most natural thing in the world to turn something or someone into something that we say we really cannot live without. Do you understand that in your life? What is that? What is that? Remember back in Romans, we said that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. So what truth is it that we're exchanging? When we, when we come to these idols, what truth are we exchanging in our lives? Jesus alone is all I need. That's the truth that we're exchanging. Jesus alone is all that I need. When we serve our idols, it's like our repentance flips inside out. Because we repent of following Jesus. And we turn to serve our idols. So I've been asking myself, what is it that I believe? is really central. What is it that, that I keep coming back to? Well, I, I know for me, here, here's one area. One area for me is, is human approval. That's a very compelling reality for me. I really need to be liked. It's very important to me for you to know how wonderful I am. Yeah, <laughs> okay? I, I, I need that. I need that. I need those kind words. I need that acceptance. Now, I know I'm alone in this, but, but I, I need to know that, that you see that what I'm doing and that it, it matters and that it, it, it makes a difference. But I've also got to tell you, that idol has broken my heart along the way. That idolatry makes people's opinions and their words my salvation. In essence, I'm turning to people and, I'm, and, and to their opinions and I'm saying to them, save me. Save me. You're my peace. You're my peace. And think about it. It's pretty unfair to people, isn't it? Because they're not catching on to this really well. <laughs> if you think through it, instead of enjoying you for the way God made you, when I fall into that idolatry, I'm just using you to get what I need. It's unfair to people, and you know what else is a problem with it? People don't deliver. They don't understand the bargain. They don't get that I have a need from them. The bottom line on this is that this is the very opposite of grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from all my works, isn't it? This is salvation by works. 
This is salvation by me trying to earn favor. This is a false God. So what's that area for your life? Is it your work? Is it accomplishment? Maybe you're like me. Maybe it's approval. We, we know it can be sex. We know it can be money. We know it can be, I mean, you can go through the list here. Have we identified that? Is it that my kids turn out well? Is it that my day turns out well? What is that area for you? What they saw was the power of God in causing them to turn from idols to the living God. So here's a second thing that I think is important to see. Again, we saw in Romans that they turned away from God. They knew God and they turned away from him. There is a second aspect to this, which is really important for us just to mention here. The second aspect of idols is not just when I turn to things that God's created and ask them to be for me who God is or do for me what God does, but the second area that fuels that in my life is when I hold to untrue beliefs about God that I believe are true. A.W. Tozer said this, The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of Him. So how do we get caught up in this? We're biblical people, right? Have you run into this in your own life? We get caught up in this because we follow these sort of vague feelings. These underdeveloped thoughts about Jesus that do not help us. There are, are truths that we hold to and believe that we have never examined in Jesus' life biblically. Instead, we, we, we follow these kind of concepts that we've just probably picked up along the way or we just sort of know. And we figure it's probably somewhere in the Bible, and I, I've never checked it out, but I think it's in there. We haven't checked our theology against the Bible so that we have a clear, freeing, compelling thoughts about Jesus that will really, really help us. Well, God wouldn't want me to go through this. God doesn't want me in this relationship. I mean, this is the type of counsel that Christians give to Christians because we say what? Well, I thought it through, and that's just not how God would be. Wait a minute. Where do you see that? Where do you see that? So we need to be careful because the problem actually isn't with Jesus. Uh, um, Ray Ortland Jr. said this, the problem is not Jesus, it's your Jesus. The problem is not Jesus, it's your Jesus. 
I guess we could ask ourselves real quickly here, huh, I guess this is sort of the answer to the question of do I really need to spend time in God's word daily? Yes. Why? Because I have these unformed kind of feelings about who I think maybe Jesus is. And instead, I need great thoughts about who Jesus actually is. You could also throw in the question, huh, is this why I need to attend gathered worship together today? Yes. Because I need my thought process checked to understand who Jesus is, what he says about himself. So the the line of questions go, who is God? What has he done? Then who am I and what must I do? There's an important logic that flows through that line of questions. With our problem is we sit there and go, no, Jesus agrees with me. No, he may not. That's why I need to be part of a missional community. I need people who know me well enough that they can sniff that out. So that they can be with me, so they can sit there and say, wait, wait, when you say that, is this what you mean? Because they love me. I need people who will speak to me the truth about who Jesus is and not just what I want. We need clear and glorious thoughts of Jesus every day. The only true crisis in my life is not trusting Jesus. Giving up my idols, that's true freedom. That's true freedom. So just like we sang in that second song today, Jesus is all I need. That's why we sing what we sing. It's not just because it sounds good. It's because it reinforces truth. That's why we read truth. That's why we pray together. That's why we come together. Because we need to realize this. Those senators in my life will not stop arguing for their jobs. And I have to admit, they sound pretty compelling if I simply listen to their arguments. But true, authentic Christianity instead turns to Jesus and says, No, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are the Lord of my life. So let's ask this question. If the first thing was, if this first element, this first role in our life is to be people who turn away from idols to the living and true God, the second question is, now how do we turn away from our idols and turn to the living and true God? How do we do that? And not just for a moment. This is something that we'll look at next week when the Word of God comes with power. It's not just that I got in this way and now for the rest of my life it's on my shoulders to do this well. We're going to see next week that is not Jesus. Okay? So we're not just looking for a momentary kind of recommitment. We're we're looking towards a lifetime of discovery. Because when... Let's just let's just play this out. We're going to say this: senators have a have a have a shelf life. Those things that drive our lives, they're in there arguing to control our lives, right? 
And once in a while, they get fired. We kick them out. We realize, wow, that's an idol. I don't want that in my life. But what else comes in? More. I think through my life, and, and uh, Caitlin and I were talking about this, I mentioned it last week, but you look back and you go, wow, just think of some of the hobbies that have controlled my life at times. I can tell you when this one started and then ended, and then when this one started and then ended, and then when this one started and ended, and again, I know I'm not alone, but what happens is we look at that and we go, wow, some of these idols come in for its season and they're gone. But they never want to step away from the table. Why? Because that's where they get their life. So we're not just looking for a momentary thing. We're looking for a lifetime of discovery about who Jesus is. A lifetime of willing discovery to find out where those things might be hiding in my life. So what do we do? Well, the answer is actually really simple. Repent and believe the gospel. Right? Repent and believe the gospel. God says, turn to me and you will be saved. From what? From the other things that want to rule my life. Will will we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and just say, you're my peace. You're my peace. I have no good apart from you. What will we say to him? Will we trustingly say to him, all right, all right, Jesus, if you're calling me to live even with an unmet need, I trust you. Because you're good. I trust you. Are we willing to turn away from my needs? Even legitimate needs. Will we say to them, you're not my peace. And honestly, if you disappoint me, that's okay. Because honestly, I never expected you to fill my life anyway. We we can live in a world where people fail us. We can live in a world where our dreams fall on their faces. We can live in a world even when our economy crumbles and collapses around us. We are okay because Jesus, the Savior, has come. We say to God, you're my peace. You're my stability. You're my life raft. You're my reason for getting out of bed in the morning. You're my reason for going to bed at night. I'm pinning all of my hope on you. And you need to understand this. The devil doesn't want you to realize that even right now that you're standing at a fork in the road, aren't you? The devil wants you to to just miss that. He wants you to keep stumbling along in the rut that you've been in for far too long. But Jesus, your true Savior, 
He comes to you right now and he says, turn to me. Right now. And I will open up new possibilities like only I can do. So the message of Wyndham Baptist Church is not, why not just add Jesus to your life? The message of WBC is, will you risk everything on the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you throw yourself into his arms and say, Lord, Lord, I'm an idolater. I'm 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 weak. I'm a mess. I've never been able to do this thing right. <laughs> and I don't think I ever will. So Jesus, I'm your problem now. I'm your problem now. And Jesus says, that's great. All I want is willingness. Because Jesus didn't come to call the righteous and the self-made, did he? Who did Jesus come to call? Sinners and idolaters, just like us. There's hope. There's hope for every single one of us here today. So I guess the question is, what will we do? You might take some time, and again, your missional communities to talk through, boy, what kind of difference would that make in a church family like this if our people lived that way? Believe that way. What would look different? Dads, what would look different in your home? What would look different in your home if you lived and believed that? What kind of conversations would you have with your kids? How would you speak with your wife? Single. Wonderful single people here that you prize and love. How would that be different for your friendships? What kind of freedom might that give you for your life? Teenagers. What difference would it really, what freedom would it give to you? if you really believe that Jesus was all that you need? Who would you be free to talk to that right now everyone else tells you you're not free to talk to? Who would you be free to actually serve that right now you're not free to serve? What kind of difference would this make in our world? Elements of authentic Christianity, Jesus, community, and mission. But Jesus comes first. Father, help us to live this out. Pray that we would understand your gracious acceptance, especially the reality that Christianity is not about people who earn their way into your good graces. Instead, our faith is all about a great and loving God 
who brings us into His good graces because of His incredible love. Help us to believe that today. We pray it in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.